Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning. This is Father Gregory Pine, and I'm joined here by Father Jacob Bertrand. How are you doing, Father Jacob Bertrand? I'm doing well. How are you? I, I too, am doing well. Uh, enjoying the start of a new school year. Um, I know that you are the director of vocations here for the province, so there are things that are kind of in the works vocation-wise for the new year. Yeah, there are a bunch of things coming up. Uh, I guess the the highlight or the, the big things coming up for the vocation week uh, vocation office are our vocation weekends that come up during the academic year. Uh, we have four of those, uh, two in the fall semester, two in the spring semester, so our first one's coming up in a couple weeks, and um, those weekends give men an opportunity to come live with us for a few days, check out the life, see what Dominican life is about, what we're about, and kind of put um, put themselves in, in the place of a Dominican to see, is the Lord calling them to this? So those are the big things coming up on our calendar, which I'm excited about, looking forward to. Nice. Put them in a place of a Dominican. Does that mean we like hand out habits at the front door? Just for the weekend. Okay, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that's part of the vocation weekend is you have to get fitted in size. It's very difficult, very expensive, but we think it's worth it. That's a joke. I'm just kidding. Um, also here on the horizon, I work for the Thomistic Institute. And we have, um, let's see, we've just launched a program called Aquinas 101, which is a video course that introduces the interested viewer to the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas. So St. Thomas Aquinas, again, is one of our uh, best and brightest of uh, brethren. Um, a Dominican who lived from 1225 to 1274, and an especially good teacher of the faith. Uh, problem is, a lot of people think that St. Thomas is intimidating, because when you pick up one of his books to read, you don't always recognize the vocabulary, or sometimes the way it's laid out can be a little bit confusing. Uh, so we've developed this course of videos just to kind of take you by the hand and walk you with St. Thomas through the Catholic faith, and to give people um, a kind of entree to St. Thomas himself. So we're really excited about that. And we just launched last week and already like 13,000 people have signed up. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, we're super pumped. Um, <clears throat> so getting to the subject at hand, we thought that a good thing to, to discuss for today's episode uh, would be sports. Um, and not just in the sense of like, hey, you know, football starting, we're getting ready for basketball and what teams do you like and how obnoxious can we be while rooting for said teams? Uh, but to look and see how sports kind of intersects with the Christian life or how certain aspects of the Christian life are kind of accentuated in sports or maybe made manifest in sports. So I thought maybe a good place to start would be just to talk a little bit about our culture's, um, maybe we could say obsession with sports or how our culture is taken with sports. What do you think it is about sports uh, that Americans or just people living in the 21st century find so attractive or so engrossing? Yeah, I you know, one of the first things I think is that it's an alternative to Sunday Mass. <laughs> so you can stay home and watch football instead of going to Mass on Sunday. So it gives people options. Yeah. You know, it's always good to have those as many options as you want or as you can as you can have um, soccer practice Sunday mornings. You know, it's, mm. it's great. Uh, yeah, and, you know, for the record, I am, I'm not a, I, I would say Father Gregory is a bigger sports buff than I. I'm not uh, all that knowledgeable. But I will say that I'm from New England, and so the New England... Patriots, that's kind of a dangerous thing to say. <laughs> and the New York Yankees from Southwest New New England are uh, the only things that I really know about sports. But in any case, uh, the uh, yeah, it, it seems, you know, whenever there's playoff season, championship season, even the regular season, uh, there's uh, with football, baseball, basketball in particular, I think people have this sort of um, 
obsession with the sport, with the athletes, with what the athletes are doing on the field or on the court, what they're doing in their personal lives, what they're doing in other pers- people's personal lives. It's, it's nonstop. Um, I grew up in Bristol, Connecticut, which is the home of ESPN. So even there, there's sort of a, like a nonstop sports uh, culture and environment. And I don't know, I think there are a number of things that kind of draw us in. Um, I think there's just first the love of competing, the love of the game. Um, that's, I think, something that we we all have in us as from, from young kids to sort of play with our friends and that develops into something more professional, more organized. Um, I think the the desire to be part of something bigger, to be part of something great, to have you know, to root for your team, even if your team is garbage, um, there's still there's still greatness in being part of that. Um, I think watching or seeing the human person kind of push themselves to the extreme to see the limits of the human body tested, um, all of those things. I don't I don't know if you had more that you were thinking of, but those yeah. are kind of pretty general. But I, I like the last thought, especially like kind of pushing oneself to the peak of one's potential. I think like about uh, Alex Honnold and that movie that came out recently, Free Solo, uh, when somebody tried to convict him that what he was doing was imprudent. For those who don't know, he climbs big rock faces, like 2,000, 3,000 like foot granite rock faces. Rock yeah. Face. yeah, and he does it with no ropes. So it's just him, his shoes, and a bag of chalk, and that's it. Uh, and And... Granted, you know, from basically everyone's everyone's yeah, perspective, it's insane. It's, it's insane and it's reckless. And you're taking your life in your hands and you're letting it slip through your fingers like water. Um, but the reason that he gives as to why he does it is he was built for precisely this. And in so doing, you see just how kind of grand are the aspirations of the human heart. Um, so if he has to choose between like having a stable life or reaching his potential, he's always going to choose reaching his potential, even if that means falling off you know, uh, El Capitan and like landing in the, you know, Yosemite Valley. Um, There's just, yeah, there's a sense that in sports we see what it is that we're made for and the kind of glorious achievements that we can reach. And I think here, I don't know how strong this connection is. Maybe it's a little bit tenuous, but I'm reminded of some scenes in the Iliad where you have these soldiers come out on the field of battle um, and they are vaunting, you know, so they're, they're taunting each other and they're describing to each other how they're going to kill each other. And then you see them perform these incredible feats of like spear throwing or like, you know, sword striking or whatever. Um, and it's pretty intense. And I remember this, there's one particular book in the Iliad. I think it's like book seven where Diomedes fights the gods. And, and here's this soldier. And mind you, he's, <laughs> you're comparing him to Achilles, who's kind of like whining in his tent at the time. And Diomedes is like, I don't give a rip about this. I'm just going to go for it. Um, and he wounds two gods in the course of one book. And you're like, dude, this is what man was made for. <laughs> to destroy the gods. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the weak, the weak Greek gods, not the god of, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, but there's this sense like you sport, it captures some of that battlefield courage. Um, you know, the Greeks refer to virtue as, you know, arete. It's a kind of strength of character where you do precisely what it is that you were made to do. And you see that in battle. And we don't have very many battlefields available to us. Um, we see them on the news, but we kind of, you know, swipe through them without really caring too terribly much. Uh, but, but for us, you know, a lot of, a lot of sports are just two teams kind of pitched against each other in battle. Baseball's weird because everyone's running in a circle. You're like, what is going on here? And kind here? of standing around. <laughs> it's a great sport. I love baseball, but kind of standing around and running in a circle. Yeah. Limited contact. Very limited yeah. contact and uh, limited interest for those who don't like it with respect to those who do. Um, so, yeah, maybe we could explore the theme a little bit of sports and virtue. So do you think sports 
does it grow virtue? Does it test virtue? Does it just make virtue manifest? Uh, does, <laughs> does sports introduce certain vices? What about sports in the virtuous life? Yeah, I think with, with everything, we have to look at it from, we, we can't paint sort of a black and white picture and kind of say, yes, it does exclusively this or no, it doesn't do this and it does something um, wholly other. Uh, that's just simply not how things are, not how, not how sports are. And um, I think that looking at sports in the ways that we've sort of described the human attraction to to the to the game, to the love of the game, we we can see and say that there are a lot of uh, virtues that are brought out through the different aspects of sports, whether that's um, self-discipline and the training that one is required to go through, whether it's sort of the perseverance through um, failures, which probably happen for our athletes more often than not, um, whether it's learning to win graciously, um, learning to sort of receive that well, earn that well, also how to be you know loyal, how to be a team team player. I guess that's kind of like a, a cliche of sports, but all of these things I think are. Uh, are learned uh, in a particular way through sports. And I think especially with younger people, with kids, um, because it's a time that they have with their peers, guided by a mentor, but really with their peers. I mean, when, when, when you're on the field and you're playing, it, it, you don't really, adults are around, right, as kids, but there isn't a sort of, you aren't really coddled in those moments. You're on the field, you're on the court, whatever, and um, it's either you versus your opponent or your team versus your opponent. And I think that brings out a lot of, uh, a lot of virtuous habits, the things that I, you know, a number that I just mentioned. At the same time, the flip side is that we, we would be uh, naive or whatever to, to say that there aren't sort of vices that also can come from sports culture. Uh, there is recently uh, this, this Netflix series or show um, that was pretty popular, 13 Reasons Why. Um, I didn't watch it, but I read the spoilers, which is probably all for the best because <laughs> there weren't great reviews. But uh, one of the things that sports, sort of the sports culture was a big thing. And one of the reviews in that, you know, this, how the sports culture, particularly men in sports culture, it, at least for the purpose of this show, engenders a kind of rape culture, mm. um, which is extreme. And the premise of the show is that a, a high school student commits suicide because of the way in which she was treated by her classmates, which was pretty bad, I guess. But um, part of one of the big storylines is that, that sports culture is just bad. Mm. Um, we can see the same thing uh, in the various like university scandals with sports and of course the famous Duke lacrosse sort of incident and you know so there there the list is probably just as endless with respect to vices but I don't think that changes the goodness that can be garnered from from athletics from sports yeah I think I think a good kind of way to focus that is all right so it's thinking about how is it that we grow in virtues or how is it that you know please God spare us that we become vicious. So it's a matter of training certain um, parts of our, our life, right? So we have um, like a mind with which to know, a heart with which to love. We have emotions that kind of in, engage us in life and get us all stirred up. And we can habituate them, right? So we can grow in particular habits so that when we encounter things in the world, uh, we, res we respond to them or we interact with them well and healthily or poorly and unhealthily. Um, so St. Thomas will talk about like how our minds can be kind of fortified or grown by wisdom and understanding and knowledge and our hearts can be grown and fortified by like justice and charity and so too our emotions by fortitude and temperance and other related virtues. But something about sports that really kind of brings this whole discussion 
uh, to the fore is that sports really stir you up, right? So sports, yeah. um, sports are difficult, right? And if they if they make they make it so that you have to like reach your potential or you have to strive in such a way as to really engage, then they're going to they're going to stir up your emotions. Um, so St. Thomas will talk about how, in a basic sense. We, we do what we love, and love begets desire, and when desire is realized, it gives us pleasure. But um, beyond that kind of like simple one, two, three, he says that there's a lot of these emotions that crop up when we encounter difficulty. So if it's like a good that's really difficult, but we think we can get it, it, it engenders hope. Or if we don't think that we can get it, then it can lead to despair. So too, when we encounter like bad things, sometimes we have to overcome them, he says, and we need to respond with a kind of daring spirit. Or sometimes we just cower in fear. Um, and if we suffer, say, like an injustice, it gets us stirred up with anger. So like everyone's had experience who's played sports of, you know, when somebody, uh, let's say you're playing ultimate Frisbee and you catch a long pass and you only need to complete one more pass to get a touchdown. And the guy guarding you knows that. Um, so what he does is he smacks the Frisbee out of your hand, right? It's a penalty and he's going to have to back up five yards and you're going to have to check the Frisbee with him in order for you to continue the play. But what he's effectively done is he slowed down the whole play. And he's made it so that what could have been a breakaway is now something that you have to do like a set piece for. What does that make you? That makes you angry. Why? Because you suffered a kind of injustice, right? So he did something and it's officiated within the rules of the game, but it was kind of cheap, you know? And, and it's just like, and sports just does that endlessly. So like a good defender in basketball is always kind of like needling you. He's always grabbing your shirt. He's always kind of punching you in the kidneys. Not too much, but just a little bit so you know he's there. He's always stepping in front of you. He's always cutting off your cuts. He's, he's purposely trying to anger you so as to get in your head and, and put you off your game. But you can do one of two things, right? You can make like Ron Artest and hop into the stands and start beating up fans. Bad, vicious, right? Or you can overcome and become uh, like a virtuous and excellent basketball player who delights not only in achieving the goal, but also overcoming his enemies. <laughs> yeah, there's there's like a really primal sense in sports when you kind of, you know, as you described, you sort of, uh, we, we kind of get down to some of those like base emotions, not base in the bad way, but like basic emotions of yeah. like anger and hope and those sorts of things. Or uh, And it's kind of when we, sports in many ways kind of that the game kind of takes away uh I was going to say some of our sort of more, um, I don't know, like humanness. And we become kind of, in some ways, we kind of become, yeah, kind of like animalistic in our, it's just that basic desire to succeed and beat your opponent. I don't think that's necessarily um, bad uh, in, in that sense. But I think that uh, there, there we have to be careful there, right? Because as, as you just said, Father Gregory, there's, um, there's the option do you do you end up climbing to the stands or like Serena Williams telling one of the the line judges for a footfall that she was going to kill her, uh, you know, which which happened and disqualified and all this? Or do you handle it gracefully? Do do you does does this challenge you to grow um, in such a way that uh, you become a more virtuous person, a better person, not threatening people's lives or like beating up people with a bag of popcorn on, on like in, in the first row of, of seats. So there's always the option. <laughs> that yeah. option is always real, real and present. So, All right. It is indeed. And this is an interesting thought. We're going to follow up with it, but let's take a quick break and we'll be back to you shortly. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. 
Okay, so when we took a break, we were just talking about uh, whether sports reveals virtue, whether it forges it, or whether it can potentially be a source of vice. I think here maybe it'd be nice to just explore a little bit how um, like sports and the spiritual life are parallel. So, so we've talked about you know some virtues that it that it kind of forces one to grow or perhaps uh, reveals the deficiency of, um, and I think that it's not incidental that Saint Paul, for instance, will use analogies taken from sports to reveal things about the spiritual life. So. Um, you know, I do not uh, run aimlessly, or I do not fight as one shadow boxing. Rather, I drive my body and I train it for fear that after having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So this whole sense like that in sports there's discipline and there's training is taken up by especially the monastic tradition with respect to asceticism. You know, ascesis, the root of that word, just means training. So I know that like sometimes we can use these analogies in a way that's corny, but what are some ways you think that sports uh, can help reveal something of the spiritual life in ways that are more, you know, genuine and authentic. Yeah, there's, with both, I mean, we, I mentioned earlier on this, in the show that um, there, there's a sense of, a real sense and a real need for perseverance in in sports, especially, you know, with, with training, especially. Um, when you look at, you know, elite athletes, professional athletes, Olympic athletes, I mean, these men and women dedicate no little time their entire lives really to sort of a few moments uh to perform on a few moments but the the day in and day out grind that people put in to train their bodies train their minds um, remain healthy all of this uh for those little moments of glory that many times are kind of also you know based on their 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 work but also kind of like everything falling into place on that one day at that time um, so too with the spiritual life in many ways, perhaps not with the same sort of outcome, with, but uh, paralleled with the preparation. Um, if you take uh, religious life, for example, but also applicable to, to all Christian life, that we spend years and years in what you know is sometimes in the tradition called the school of holiness, simply day in and day out remaining close to Christ, most especially in the sacraments, but in our prayer life, going to confession when we fall, which is, you know, inevitable for our broken humanity that we fall, but we receive his grace and are re-strengthened. But uh, that's a continual lifelong process. And I think that the, the sort of unseen characteristic or unseen nature of that, that what happens in our spiritual life is really not seen by others. And in fact, tradition in the spiritual life reiterates over and again not to judge the state of somebody else's spiritual life like not to make that comparison between where i believe that i am in my relationship with christ and what i see other people doing because that's a danger like how would you know it's a dangerous pitfall um but th that work it kind of goes on in our lives our lord's grace kind of works in an unseen way um and we we have to sort of th there's a dryness in that there's sort of a, a, a labor of love in that that's not glorious that's not um exciting uh, so you can you can think there of the athlete who's in the gym by himself or mm -hmm. on the on the court by herself doing drills and like not seen by anybody. Same thing in the spiritual life. Um, I also think the the parallel between failure and, and success is important to, mm -hmm. to recognize here that um, the great athletes fail far more often than, than they succeed. Um, so, too, in our in our life, you know, we fall, we're tempted, we're broken, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the good athlete, though, is the one who gets back on the horse, as it were. Yeah. You know, um, the good, the good Christian is not the person who doesn't fail, but it's the person who recognizes their failure, their sin, repents, and and sort of carries on, forges ahead. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we can, like you said, there's a temptation of sort of making 
making it corny, like, you know, having a poster of like Jesus shooting a basketball behind you. Actually, I was for my first assignment after I was ordained there, I was at Dartmouth College in the campus ministry there. And in the great hall below the chapel, the big like campus ministry room, there's a, a pretty large painting of Our Lady. And she's it's it's her assumption into heaven, but she's kind of reaching up to heaven. And all the students, I guess myself included, I'll admit, <laughs> we call her Jump Shot Mary because it looks like she's shooting a jump shot. But uh, yeah, so we don't want to think of sports and the spiritual life as that kind of like jump shot Mary, you know, mm. the assumptions better than Mary shooting a jump shot, I think. But there, there are certainly uh, applicable connections there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm like reminded as you describe um, what you just did of uh, a kind of related connection too, in the sense, okay, so not everyone is equally good at sports, um, and some people are better and some people worse. But, but not all of that actually is your effort, the effort that you put in. There's, there's already operative in the sporting life, a kind of analogy for grace, because some people just have um, a better constitution for it, right? So like you, let's say that you're uh, five feet, you know, 10 inches and that your wife is five feet, nine inches. Like you're probably not going to have an Olympic gymnast for a child, you know? If you're like five two and she's like five one, chances are better, but you're probably not, okay? So like the hand is dealt for you, and then when you're born, you know, like say you have exercise-induced asthma or say you are like bow-legged or say, you know, like you have one of these kind of like bad feet things like plantar fasciitis or Seavers disease where like your, your heels are on fire all the time. Like you're not going to be an Olympic runner. And that's okay. Like it doesn't make you a bad person because one, you can still like practice a sport um, and enjoy it and grow from it as a result. As, as we would say, like regardless of what graces and gifts you're given in the order of nature or the order of grace, like the Lord will make them fruitful. Um, and what I'm thinking of is a parable that we just had recently, the parable of uh, the talents. So like the Lord gives five to one and two to another and one to the final. And when each uses those talents, they're multiplied, right? When he doesn't use the talents in the final case, uh, they, they aren't multiplied. But each kind of is given in God's predestinating love. He's given a certain gift. He's given a certain grace. And that proves fruitful in his life. And he doesn't like suffer by comparison. I suspect that the last guy may have compared this guy got five, this guy got two, why did I only get one? I'll just put it in a napkin. One instance of the word napkin in the Gospels, what's up? Um, I'll just put it in a napkin and bury it, right? But but like what we learn in sports and what we learn in the spiritual life is it doesn't really matter like too terribly much the hand that you're dealt. The Lord proves faithful and he makes your life beautiful and he shows forth his glory in a way that's particular to you um, and that comparison really only breeds contempt. What we are responsible for is consenting to and cooperating with the graces that we're given and magnifying those graces uh, in the way that we're capable of doing. Um, but to, to leave the Lord the rest, you know, the rest is not our business, as T.S. Eliot said. Um, so maybe just a kind of final thought as we round out the episode, um, maybe just to spend a little time talking about running. Uh, so Father Jacob Burchin was an excellent uh, runner in college or high school, college, and even has run a bit since then. Um, so maybe running is a, is a peculiar sport because you know, a lot of running t-shirts say, my sport is your sport's punishment. That's true, That's true though. I mean, that's like the truest, the truest statement you can make about running. Yeah. Why we run in circles or like in the woods. So, so as a runner, would you say that like, is running uh, like more pure in terms of sport? Is it less pure in terms of sport? Do you look down on sports that use balls and like equipment and other types yeah. of frippery? Those you know? are called games. <laughs> so uh, this is setting me up for something I'm going to regret and that a lot of people are going to disagree with. The conversation of like, what is a sport? Is chess a sport? No, chess is not a sport. No offense, it's great. 
chess players are a lot smarter than I am, but, uh, or, you know, the whole, deb- whatever. Okay, fine. So um, is it more, what did you say, pure of a sport? Pure, or something? yeah. Um, I would say in, in one sense, yes, and another sense, no. Okay. Uh, I would say in the sense that if, if we're talking about sports as looking at those those tests that push the human body to the to the limit without other things involved i mean of course in in track you could be doing different events or you know there there's there's a whole there are tactics involved in training all this yeah but um there isn't like father gregory said there's not a ball there's not gear that you're wearing there's not this sort of thing um if you're on the road running marathons or road races or on the cross-country course in many there, there are team elements right but in many ways it's just you and your body um, and what, what have you, how hard have you punished your body and how smart have you punished your body to train it, to, to perform well, to push it beyond. Um, I think this is the same with a lot of endurance sports so swimming long, you know, rowing in many senses, like the long cycling, these long distance sports that, um, are pretty much just pushing the body. I think like the classic, I mean, two classics here perhaps are like the Ironman uh, triathlon and then like the marathon, these mm-hmm. events that like just you in the pavement or you, you know, whatever, whatever sort of surface you're on. Um, so in that sense, I think there's, there's a purity to sort of distance events, those kind of things. Um, but in another sense, no, I mean, there, you can't ignore like the classic elements of team in sports that, that running really doesn't have. I mean, you, you score points for your team, but you're not out there like with a team making plays or that sort of thing. So it's, it lacks that. But if you want to say that removing all those things make it more pure than yeah it's it is, i guess <laughs> aristotle, I'm biased, of Ar- course. aristotle says the man who lives apart is either a beast or a god so in a certain sense the, the long distance rather is either beast or god or both yeah. <laughs> so both there's a kind of there's a kind of socialization that happens yeah. with the team sport which which you know draws out certain human perfections that aren't otherwise accentuated yeah. in sports um but maybe just like a, a, as a kind of final thought with respect to running um running is a is a kind of contemplative exercise so a lot of people when you tell them, you know, that you run, uh, they'll one, marvel at the fact that you can do that. Uh, and two, they'll ask you like, what do you do, you know, while running? Or what do you think about? Like, do you listen to music? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you make mental lists? Do you memorize state capitals? Like, what do you do when you're running? Um, so like, what is it about, I think in, from kind of my vantage, running seems like a particularly contemplative thing. Uh, do you think there's a connection there? Do you think that's there's truth to that statement? Yeah, um, there's especially for distance runners there's there's a lot of time when it's just like you and your mind and uh you have to learn to discipline that and control that and do that well otherwise you know getting in your miles on the road are going to destroy you because your mind is going insane Hmm. um the mind over matter kind of cliche yeah there's a lot of truth there and i think that's the same in in the spiritual life that you know to sit in the chapel or to sit before the blessed sacrament you have to, there's, there's a sense of training that has to, you can't, if you've never spent, a, if you've never made a holy hour before and sat for an hour in silence, it's probably a bad idea to sit down for the first time and say, I'm going to make a full holy hour. You know, that, that's biting off a lot to sit there in, in silence for that time. So our minds have to be disciplined, but there's also this connection in that, in that, um, when our, when our minds are kind of left out in the open, um, to, to reflect on oneself. I mean, with running, perhaps more with running and what I'm doing with my body and these sorts of things, but in the spiritual life, kind of to, to make this sort of examination um, of conscience, you know, you could you could throw that either way towards the athletic, towards the running side or towards the spiritual side, that there's 
the, when the mind when the mind is not distracted, the mind begins to think and to wander. So what does it focus on? Mm-hmm. For the athlete, hopefully, you know, good training and and developing as we talked about those virtues, those kind of things for the runner. But for for the for the Christian, for the contemplative that and the life of prayer that we're all called to, hopefully to God, um, and to dwell on Him more and more in the, in that prayer to be maybe to be less distracted. I don't know. I'm still waiting for that day for myself, but hopefully it's moving in that direction. I think a lot of the the fear and trepidation that people experience when thinking about running or when thinking about doing some kind of physical exercise without being you know plugged in, without listening to music or listening to a podcast, uh, it's like, what do you do with your thoughts? Yeah. Right. Um, and, and a lot of people feel that in an acute way, like when you go to the restroom, it's like, do you take out your cell phone and watch a YouTube video? Right. Or when you're on the metro and you're going to and from home and work, uh, like, what is it that you occupy yourself with? And I think a lot of, a lot of, it's not that we're like afraid of silence, it's that we've just grown unaccustomed to experiencing it. And, and as a result of which, we kind of flee from it instinctually. But running has a way of kind of bringing that into focus, and you, your mind gives a kind of free play uh, in a way not unlike dreams. You know, like there's a kind of wild association that happens, and oftentimes the runner is infected by grandiose ideas midway through. You know, he imagines himself you know, like breaking the tape at the Berlin Marathon in under two minutes, or excuse me, under two hours, that'd be incredible, under two, under two hours, right? But there's there's a kind of beauty to that, to be reacquainted with your thoughts, because in your thoughts, not that whatever your thoughts themselves are per se saving, but in your thoughts, you often can discover the Lord. And I think that's the whole point of the church's insistence on recollection, that like wherever you are and whatever you're doing and whatever you're thinking about, you can always kind of tune in to where the Lord is, because by virtue of baptism, he dwells in us richly as in a temple, and we can always turn towards him, you know, whereas at times we might be frantic and stressed, we can always turn towards him and be conscious of his presence. And I think that the serene runner has a kind of experience of that, even if he's thinking about more mundane things or athletic things. Uh, it's a kind of recollection that attunes yeah. our minds to those higher realities. And I think in this too, there's 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 a sort of trajectory in the spiritual life that's applicable to the to the life of the runner or the athlete. That um, sort of the mantra that there that moving advancing the spiritual life begins with self knowledge. So sometimes we say like entering the self self knowledge, and not in sort of like a psychological new age kind of thing, but like to know yourself and who you are. Um, but that that has to move to self acceptance to accept that because you can know yourself, but to accept the fact that you're um, a sinner, but also that you're a child of God. Those are those are hard things sometimes to really intellectually and you know accept and to know, but also to live, and then sort of self transcendence to move beyond sort of sort of our selfish and narcissistic desires. Um, very, that's the root of the spiritual life, that sort of trajectory. But also with the athlete to kind of accept your know who you are as an athlete, accept your limits, also accept where you can grow and where you can move, and and then pursue that, pursue that well. Uh, those, I think, that that overlap is is quite real. Yeah. All right, we're coming to the end of our time. Father Jacob Bertrand um, has uh, queued up a little passage from um, uh, the Holy Father, St. John Paul II, from a homily that he gave in uh, 2000 on the Jubilee of Sports People. That's right, folks, you heard it right, the Jubilee of the Sports People. So, uh, Father Jacob Bertrand, would you bring us home? Yeah, it's first, I love the title. It's, it's <laughs> incredible. Jubilee of sports people. And so John Paul II gave this this little homily, uh, and he, he talks about, uh, he's talking to athletes, um, and one of the, a couple things that he says, I think that uh, one of the things that he says is that uh, playing sports, he acknowledges how, how important they've become for us, and because it encourage us, encourages people to develop um, the virtues, the values, those things that we talked about earlier, 
earlier in the uh, in the podcast. But another thing that he talks about that I found uh, that that caught my attention when I was reading through it is that he he referenced so this was in two thousand so he referenced the Olympic Games in Sydney and you know he says that we admired the feats of the great athletes who sacrificed themselves for years day after day to achieve those results. Uh, and then he says this is the logic of sports. It's also the logic of life. Without sacrifices, important results are not obtained, or even genuine satisfaction. Hmm. I think that's incredible. Uh, you know, the logic of sport, the logic of life. Without sacrifices, results are not obtained, or even genuine satisfaction. Go, yeah. John Paul II. Indeed, he do. Yeah, and it echoes the thoughts or the words of Saint Paul: Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So we'll go ahead and leave you with that thought. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to God's Planet, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.